Well, um, good evening and welcome. Um, nine o'clock this morning, as when Kathy was here, there was in fact a queue to get into church, which is, is rather sweet, really. Of course, it's um, not a good thing. It's because people arrived a bit late and they had to sign in, so it took time. But now we have a postcode. Isn't that amazing? So you can now use the Track and Trace app and uh, and tap in. Uh, if you got that on your phone, I wait to try and get rid of the buzz. Where's that horrible buzz coming from? It's not the wasps. No, I think not. But. That sounds. Oh no. Uh, apparently last last um, time I did encounter, Laurie said that it was very quiet at the back. If this is too quiet, can someone at the back just stand up and shout? W- Wendy, just do it. If, if, I, if it goes quiet, okay, just say. Because it feels very loud down here. Um, I can hear myself very clearly. Uh, the title for... I'm, I'm going to talk for it first. I'll, say, I'll pray first. I'll start geography first. I'm going to pray and then we'll do the talk. And then Johnny will lead us in worship. Extended worship as always at Encounter um, and see how that goes and where it goes. Um, but the title for uh, this evening, which has come by revelation to Laurie um, and by um, email to me, is Mix and Meld. Um, and um, the boss will come in, no doubt. But when I started praying and asking God what to say tonight, it just happened that that was when Laurie was on his retreat this week, so I couldn't ask him what he meant by it. So I may have got completely the wrong angle on this, but it's the angle that God gave me. Is that, is that fair? Uh, so um, we'll see how that goes in a moment. Let's take a moment's quiet, shall we? And just come into Father's presence. Just intentionally open up to his spirit. Intentionally lay down the busyness of today. Father, we thank you for this time, for this place, for these people, for this opportunity to be in your presence. To worship you, to hear from you and to share with each other in this incredible adventure that you've called us to in Jesus. Spirit, we just give ourselves now this evening to be before you, and we give you permission, God, to speak to us in any way you choose. Come, Holy Spirit. And the people said, Amen. So, I'm going to talk a bit about um, some things from the story of Esther uh, in the Old Testament. You haven't got few Bibles or anything. You can look up the verse if you want. Um, you'll find it a bit all over the place from from Esther. Hi, David. Hi, Bethany. Um, and I think the reason why, well, I, I, the sort of thing that links with where we are, I think, 
and this story is a little bit about that thing about being in a foreign culture. Now, most of you know the story. Can I just assume you know the story? I'll do a very brief outline. But the situation is the Jews have got you know, carried into captivity when Nebuchadnezzar destroys the temple in Jerusalem, takes them all off to Babylon uh, for their 70 years captivity. And then a new empire comes, Cyrus defeats the Babylonians, and sets up the thing, the Median Persian Empire. And that's a much more liberal sort of operation. And slowly, after about 70 years, some Jews start returning to Jerusalem. But there is still, and this story takes place in the time of Xerxes, which is fortunately a Greek shortening of a really impossible Persian name to say. <clears throat> and King Xerxes, chapter 1 of Esther, uh, the, the book starts off with that. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces. Uh, the Persian Empire was huge. It went, included Egypt and chunks of India, right into Greece, um, all of the, the Palestine, the Holy Land. Uh, massive area, massive empire. And this story takes place in one of the sort of four royal capitals, Susa. Uh, and the Persian monarchs moved around between these, so it seems. And it takes place when there's a, obviously, obviously a, a colony of, of Jews there. And we've got quite good archaeological, I can't say the word, evidence that, that Jewish communities existed in lots of the cities of the Persian Empire uh, at that time. They'd been taken to Babylon and presumably dispersed to Susa and Nippur and Peropolis and all the other places uh, where we know they, they were. And they're there. And there's a particular thing happens which involves Esther because the king falls out with his queen and gets rid of her, banishes her, Queen Vashti, in chapter 1. And Esther becomes the queen. Uh, she goes, well, sort of. She goes to the harem first and the king has lots of uh, ladies in his harem and, and she's the one that the king really delights in. And she takes the place. She's given the royal sort of accolade and becomes queen for a while. And so you've got a situation where there's, there's God's people, the Jews, and they're in this distant land, different culture. And it's clear they've become quite integrated into that culture. So Esther is actually, her parents are dead. She's brought up by her uncle, Mordecai. And Mordecai is, is, is not a Jewish name. It's a, it's a Persian name, probably after the, one of their gods. And Esther's name herself almost certainly comes from the goddess Ishar, but it's not a... She has also a Hebrew name, but she has a, like a normal name in their culture. Mordecai, her uncle, who's brought her up, uh, he, he's, he's a scribe in the, king's, in the king's palace. You know, he's part of this sort of civil service. Um, they're, they're integrated, they're mixed in, but still somehow separate because they're God's people and they have their own community life, but they're involved in this culture. I've, I've been reading and I've attended some sort of online conferences sort of when people are talking about the challenge to the Western culture by what's happening at the moment. Do you get this? That, that there's one speaker who doesn't matter who he was really. He was, he was saying, he said, you know, three years ago, I, I, I've been traveling from America to Europe and backwards and forwards. And I was going through an airport once. And I thought, my word, this is, this is wonderful, but it's very fragile. If, if, if you know, if some disease spread through this lot, and I think there's an element of, of a, a challenge to uh, culture 
the Western secular culture, the post-Christian culture that we've all grown up in. But we're in that culture. I mean, I don't see you can be out of it, really. You know, to be a Christian is to be Jesus' people, but in the world. And this, these digital Jewish community in Susa we're looking at, don't know how big it was, probably not very large, but they've integrated in a bit. And indeed, Mordecai has encouraged Esther to go, because she's beautiful and good-looking and all that stuff, into the Queen's, king's harem. But he's told her not to say she's Jewish. I think it's chapter 2, verse 10, if I remember rightly. Explicitly, is that where it is? Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her. And so she's there. Just, just picture this. She's there in the king's harem. Now, I've never been in a harem. <laughs> uh, I probably wouldn't be let in, I suppose, actually, when it comes down to it. Unless, there we are, you know, never mind. I lost some bits first. Because she looked after by some eunuchs. And, and I guess it was a lovely place to live. I mean, in a sense, that I suspect she was well-fed and got all the things she wanted, yeah? Very comfortable life. I mean, occasionally, the king called for and you had to go and see the king, which must be a bit risky, I suppose, in a way. But you get the impression, in fact, when the story starts, she hadn't been seen for some time. You know, she just lived happily in this harem. You've got this person who's living in a really a sort of pagan culture, not her culture. But she's integrated into it and living very comfortably. And when I was, I say, praying and thinking through this before Father, I was thinking, actually, sometimes for us, I think, we're involved in the culture, that's great, and we do stuff in the culture, but sometimes we become, I think, just over-comfortable into it. And the story's going to happen, of course, and make it very uncomfortable, but when we meet, meet the story, they are fairly, she's certainly the hero, heroine the, of our story, is in a comfortable place. And it's quite clear she's not had to say, she's not been challenged about, because unlike the thing with Daniel, if you remember Daniel's story or whatever, she hasn't had to say, I'm a, I'm a Jew and I don't do this stuff. She better keep that secret. And it's not become a thing that's be, you know, stood out and, 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 and put pressure on her to be in a particular way. So she's the queen and, and we won't go into the of that story. Uh, but then... Um, we get this this thing where uh, something happens to challenge that 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 gentleness and loveliness and relaxedness and comfortable thing. Because this guy Harman, who's who's a, 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 a Amalekite, uh, gets it in for, for, for Mordecai and the Jews. Mordecai originally really offends him because Mordecai won't bow down and, and, and as give him a. Um, worship him as he walks past because he's supposed to and so he decides gets this plot together as you know to get rid of all the Jews and, he, and he's a bit devious he, he gets the king to sign an edict against a people doesn't know who they are who Haman says is are rebellious and don't obey the king so the king signs a decree that in some time in the future they're going to get wiped out and Mordecai learns about this and he sends this message to Esther saying, look, you've got to go and talk to the king. And, and Esther initially is very uh, edgy about this because she knows that you don't just go into the king. You have to be called to go into the king. And anyone goes, in, anyone at all goes into the king uh, unasked, then the punishment is death unless the king decides to pardon them. And so she's a bit edgy about doing this. And, and for her, then 
you get this situation, it seems to me, where suddenly who she is and what she's called to be as a Jew, Jewish person, as God's, part of God's people, is challenged in the, against the comfort of where she is quite directly. And it's quite obvious. I mean, I'm going to make this, I'm going to suggest, and I, I think this is, it's not absolutely proven from the Bible, but I'm pretty sure that she has no idea beyond that what to do, except she's got to go and talk to the king. She has to raise, uh, go and speak to the king. She's the only person really who's got that access. And even for her, it's the risk of death. But she says to Mordecai, but they can't see her directly. He has to send messages back and forth. She has to send one of her, her eunuchs to go and talk to Mordecai. And she sends a message back initially saying, look, it's, it's dangerous because anyone goes to the king uncalled for, they get killed. And you go to chapter 4, when we sort of land. And um, so Esther's words, I'll go from verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, that's the words where she'd said, it's dangerous, I, I don't want to do this, it's risky. He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. She is in the king's house, and who knows, it might have been okay, but she's part of God's people. That's her real identity. The fact she kept it secret doesn't mean it's not true. But then this, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish, and who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Now there's two things there, and 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 the first thing is Mordecai rightly understands that God will deliver His people; that God's purposes won't be thwarted. Um, this is before Ezra uh, takes the um, main remnant back, before Ezra and Nehemiah go back and do the rebuilding of the temple and stuff. So still quite a lot of Jews around, and they're the ones that are going to go back and you know, re-establish a Jewish uh, people in the Holy Land. And it matters. It's part of God's plan. That's part of what God's going to do. And Mordecai realizes that, that God will find a way of doing it, even if Esther doesn't do what she needs to do. But he wants, Mordecai does, and I think God does too, want es- Esther to do this thing. This is her moment. This is the chance to, to, to stand up for who she is and for, you know, to, to, to declare that she's one of God's people and take the risk. She, she is going to do it. We know she's going to do it. But before she does it, she asks the Mordecai to arrange for the people to pray. She recognizes the spiritual battle and fast. She, um, doesn't actually say prayer. One of the weird things about the book of Esther, it doesn't really mention God or prayer or worship at all in, throughout it. The text actually says she asked the people to fast, but of course that would be also to pray before she goes and does it. But she will do it. Now, I I think that some, I mean, we've had lots of fantastic revelation in the last six months or so. Nine months, is it? When did lockdown start? I don't know. Nine months. And, and for me, personally, I have to admit that sometimes, although a lot of it's really challenging and encouraging, for me... It, so what? You know what? what? And I, I sort of almost envy Esther that this crisis for her, it's pretty obvious what she's got to do. What she's got to do is go to the king, and, and that's it. All all that's left is be obedient. But it is a hard thing to do. And I think tonight I want to sort of say that that I think we 
need to wait until we see what the thing to do is, but then we're willing to do it. And I don't know what that thing is. I'm not saying what it's going to be. For each one of us, it'll be different, probably. But that response to what God's doing. Because God will do what God's doing, even if individuals are not faithful in being obedient to that. Do you get that? But we have a chance, all of us, I think, and as a community, definitely, to be there somehow in, like, the vanguard, in, like, doing the stuff. Who knows that you came... Who knows but that you guys weren't here at this point in time for a time such as this. And, and like I said, I'm a little bit jealous of Esther having a very straightforward uh, decision to make. Just go obedient and go and do it. You might get killed, but that's, you know, that's how it goes. And, and as we know, she goes to do it. Um, it's simple. It's one task. Um, but she's willing to be obedient now. The other thing that's going on, the second thing that's going on, I think, here, is that Mordecai is so right that God set this thing up. And a little bit of this stuff, Esther will have seen. So back in chapter 2, between the old queen getting deposed and Esther becoming queen, we have a little episode where Mordecai discovers a plot to kill the king, and he tells Esther, and Esther tells the king, and it's like dealt with and forgotten about. You might say it's coincidence. Just one of those things that happens. But all through this little story, all through this uh, thing, there's these things happening, these God incidences that happen at the right time in the right place. And we'll see some more of them. So she goes into the king, and the king says, put his, his, his scepter out so she's not going to get killed. Yeah, I like you, Esther, you can come and talk to me. And, and I really do think, she hadn't got much of a plan beyond that, I really think, I could be wrong here, that she just, well, you know, she got as far as, I must go into the king, but I had no idea what to do next. <laughs> what do you say? Well, I think Esther knew the one thing she was good at was party. And so she invites the king to a party. And Haman to come to a party. And I really do think probably that was just like, whoa, play for time. And they, the king and Haman go to this banquet and, um, Haman's still plotting and getting really cross and getting more and more angry with his, with his Jews and with Mordecai. And the first banquet, nothing really happens. All she asks, the king says to her, well, ask me, Esther, anything you want. It's a lovely banquet. I love you. Ask me anything you want. And she says, can you come to dinner again tomorrow? <laughs> the next day she will ask directly what she wants. But between those two, we get chapter 6, and again, it's one of these like coincidence things. It's like, whatever. That night, chapter 6, the king could not sleep. Um, I was talking to someone today, actually, on a, a Zoom call, a, a young lad, look after in Manchester, but uh, we talk about what things stop us sleeping. Uh, who knows what stops the king of Persia sleeping? And what do you do when you can't sleep? A real question. What do you do when you can't sleep? Anyone got any sessions? Cup of tea, Yes. Read a book, yes. Pray. Who said that? Holy elder. Yep. I have to say, I think quite often when I wake up, I just go to the toilet for something to do, actually. I'm going to sleep again. The Xerxes got, got them to read the record of his reign, to read the, the, <laughs> this boring document about all the things that happened. I mean, that would put anyone to sleep, I think. It just so happened that when he gets this, he couldn't sleep, and... The secretary starts reading from the book of things that, you know, had happened. And it comes to this thing about Mordecai, saving the king from assassination. And king says, what was done to honor him? Nothing, says the scribe. 
So the king says, oh, we must do something. And he says, who's in the court? And the text says, verse 4, nothing can be done for him, his attendant answered. The king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer palace. And it's like this, this thing where, I mean, these are pagan kings and blah, 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 but God's in this. God is in this. And Esther has no idea about this stuff going on, of course, at all. And so the king says, you know, so Haman, the, the big baddie who's, um, Johnny was telling me when they did this thing at, um, in Sheffield, he was in children's church and you were Haman, is that right? So, yes. everyone hated you, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and he comes in and the king says to Haman, what should be done to the man the king honours? And Haman thinks he means me, because I'm his right hand man. And he says, oh, we should put on a big horse and give him a big procession and honour him. And the king says, great. Do it to Mordecai. Because, oh, whoa, this is like, you know, that's Hyman's deepest enemy, but the king doesn't know it. And so when Esther is going to ask the king for what she's going to ask for, to, to effectively repeal the edict for her people, the Jews, it's already been set up. So second thing, it just strikes me. At this time in our corporate life, in our life as a church and stuff, we're learning a lot about pushing into God's presence. And, and there's a sense, I think, of not wanting to push the pace. I want to push the pace. Do you understand that? Me? But I think we've got to learn to, to, to just wait and see what God's doing. But know that God is active. And some of that stuff we'll see. I mean, Esther knew about the Mordecai thing early on, but a lot of it won't see. We won't know necessarily what thing God's, uh, God's putting things in place. And Esther doesn't know that. But she takes the step of obedience and then she does something and gets the thing said. And, and of course it all works out amazingly well. Well, not for Haman, it doesn't, because he ends up hung and stuff um, uh, at the end of the story. And the Jews uh, get saved from it. And, and they got this, I think, sort of, I don't know, picture that lands for me of someone who probably was happily involved in society maybe wasn't really declaring who she was and has to declare who she was the word the words that laurie gave me i said at the beginning were mix and meld and mix speaks to me of that mixing in of things but melding actually it can mean two things it can mean like um melting together i think it can be they think it comes from meld melt and weld but it also means declaring an opening do anyone play canasta in their old days you meld cards in canasta, don't you? It's declaring who you are. And I want to use it in that sense. That I think Esther is, has to, at this point in her life, her experience, meld, declare who she is and what she is. To announce it. To announce and display who she is. It's that picture from um, the end of uh, Exodus. Um, the very last verse of Exodus, which is verse 37, 8 of chapter 40. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until the day it lifted. That picture of us as God's people, you know, if God says move, we move. But if he doesn't move, we wait. If the cloud or the purifier does not lift from the tabernacle, then we don't set out. 
despite my impatience to want to see things happen, what's, what's asked of me and I think of us is as far as we're given stuff to do, as far as Holy Spirit makes it clear, flip into it, be obedient. But just trust that God is setting stuff up and that when the time comes, we'll get clear revelation of what we have to do, prompting whichever way you get it, of what it requires to do. And again, that, you know, it always resonates with me about, about Jesus saying the John five nineteen stuff about the Son can only do what he sees the Father doing. It's pre- present active tense. It's not like he's, he's seen what the Father's doing a long way in the distance and plans it out. It almost is as it happens. It, it, it's, it's now. What is God calling me and us to do now? Yeah, be obedient, obviously. Yeah, be involved in, in what's around us. But there'll come a time, there'll come times when we have to declare it, who we are, and speak it out. Announce and declare to meld out. And I, I don't know, <laughs> I mean, Esther manages to almost the end to declare it. The, the first thing she does is gets to the king, there's a banquet, another, it's not till quite late on, she's at the second banquet, she says, me and my people, where she actually declares she's on that side. And it almost takes a bit before she actually gets to that point. Up to that point, all the king knew she wanted to have a new horse or a new, you know, something or other else. That's when she declares it. But that's when it turns around. It's at that point when she is willing to declare in that sort of public setting who and what she is. And, and there we go. That's what I think the Holy Spirit gave me to say uh, this evening. That call for us to be in the culture, yes, but challenge the culture, to be open to what God's doing, but patient about it and wait until we get definite sense of that's the time to do it. And for, it speaks to me, really, because I am impatient about things. It comes partly from being 68 and wanting it to happen in, you know, before I run out of energy. You know what I mean? Come on, God, bring it on. I love that, that, that um, uh, Laurie, who did it come from, the one with the tsunami? The prophecy. Thank you, the James Gold. Thank you. Uh, I, I love that, you know, was that, was that back in May we got that? April, a really long time ago. And, and as Vicky would always say to me, I said about, you know, I was praying with her and say, Lord, bring revival. So it's coming, it's here. The, you know, the, you get that thing with the wave where it sucks out first. There's an impatience in me to see God's kingdom come. To, for this thing to happen. Because I, I do not know, I do not understand exactly what's going on in the world with this pandemic. But I know absolutely sure as certain that God is using it to shake and to move. Yeah? Absolutely, you haven't got to be, it's not, not rocket science, they say, to see that that's what's, and it's shaking lots of things that people didn't know would be shaken. Laura's saying, that, that I think yesterday morning, about a lot of churches who've become just religious and easy, and some haven't, are having real trouble through this time. One of the people I listened to uh, was saying that this time has shown those who are really committed to stay committed. And pulled in and pushed in. Bring it on. (laughs) 
I'm with him. <laughs> and it may be better, of course, to see it from heaven anyway. I mean, who knows? But <laughs> so sometimes, so there's some challenges there, right? Don't get too comfortable in the culture. You are. Uh, who's it? Is it James that says, you know, we're, we're, we're strangers in this world? No. Is it James or Peter? Um, we're strangers in this world. Peter, I think. One Peter. We're strangers in this world. This is not our, <laughs> there's an old chorus of this world is not my home. It's not our home. It can be a very comfortable culture in many ways. And lots of things about it, I, you know, I love some of the technology stuff. It's cool, my mobile phone and stuff. But that's not, it's not my home. I am a, a stranger and an alien in this world. Because I belong to Jesus. That's where my heart is. And that's where my truth and reality is. And I'm in like a harem here. It's a beautiful place to be in many ways. Not just, I mean, you know, Western Europe and everything else and all that stuff. But, that's, but I'm not here to be comfortable. I'm here to be one of God's children, obedient to what he's doing. And he will call some of us at some times to do stuff. And you won't know the preparation that's gone on before that. But believe me, God is working. Mordecai's got it right. Even if I don't, you know, if something comes to me and God says, do this, and I don't do it, and I bottle it, God won't be, God will still find a way of doing it. But who knows if for such a time as this, you came to this place. So I'm, two things. Be patient. Wait till the cloud moves to move. Only do what you see the Father doing. Don't push it in your own strength. That'll be chaos. But let's be ready to be absolutely obedient to whatever God calls us to do. Even if it's risky. Even if when we do the first thing, we have no idea of the next thing. I love that. I really do think she had no idea you know, what to go in. She's so worried about getting killed. She never got... But sometimes I think we're like that now. I quite like it, actually, that we don't know the next thing. We don't know where we're worshipping next Sunday morning or when we're worshipping or anything. (laughs) Sometimes we'll go into stuff and not know. That makes sense? Let's stand. Oh, that's sorry. That was that's not an order. That's a suggestion. But but I think sometimes it's good Uh, in worship. As always, the rules are. That you, we don't put words up to not encourage singing but you know how it goes and if you do feel free to move and sit and kneel or whatever if you've got particular words I think probably at the beginning if you, take, if you have a word initially uh, go and see Laurie or Wendy or me or anyone else is here uh, but yeah one of those three and we'll share it appropriately and no doubt it'll be time later on for words let's be quiet shall we and just come into worship Father let the words that are your words land and have their weight and the words that come from my impatience and my annoyance float away and not have any weight at all Father your presence is described in the Old Testament as a weight of glory Father this evening we want to feel the weight of your presence come Holy Spirit